morning's reading is from Daniel 5, 1 through 9. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. When Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink with them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs began to became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, the astrologers, and the diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. We find ourselves once again in the book of Daniel. We're in Daniel chapter 5. Can you hear this voice of mine? It is, uh, it's going to make it. The Lord is good. Amen always. Daniel is a prophet of God in a, in a nation called Babylon. Babylon is not Israel. A lot of the Old Testament takes place in the nation of Israel. It takes place, you know, in Bethlehem and Jerusalem. All these cities that are famous but right now, we are not there. We are not where God's people used to live. God's people, their land was destroyed. They were taken into slavery into this new world called Babylon. For the last four chapters, Daniel 1 through 4, the king who ruled over Babylon was a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is a very famous dude in the Bible. He's the guy who made the big statues. Everyone must bow down to it. Nebuchadnezzar fought the Lord for many years. And in Daniel 4, this pagan, powerful king finally bowed his head and praised the God of heaven and even wrote a hymn we still have in our Bible today. So who is, in 5.1 it says, Belshazzar. Who's Belshazzar? Nebuchadnezzar is dead. The king has died and a new king's risen. His son has arisen in his place. Belshazzar is the new king, the young king, the leader of the empire of Babylon. And it says, the king held a great feast for 1,000 of his nobles, and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. So what is Belshazzar doing? He's having a party at the palace. He's invited all like his senators and congressmen to come. This is a political party. If you're invited, you're a somebody. These are the nobles of the land. 
They've coming and they're having some drinky drink. They're having some food. It is a time to get down, okay? The goal is not only to appreciate the leadership, it's a political meal as well. He has to make sure everyone knows, I'm the new boss, everybody. I'm the guy. Everyone knows. Just you know, just you know what's going on here. Daddy's dead. I'm still the man. Everyone understand? Understand. There's a party at the palace. But Belshazzar wants this party to be remembered forever. He wants to set this party off, if you will. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he said to bring the gold, the silver vessels, which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem. <coughs> Belshazzar wants this party remembered. He wants it to be legendary status. Now, I have, in my life, I have done a lot of weddings in my life. Hundreds of weddings I've done in my life. I remember a lot of the people, I don't remember a lot of the ceremonies, you know, I've seen a lot of like unity candles and unity trees and unity knots. A lot of unity things in, in, uh, in, um, in weddings. There's some weddings that stick out. There's some, some weddings I'll never forget. I once did a wedding with a monkey in a suit. You don't forget that wedding. You don't forget it. Don't forget that wedding. Once did a wedding where a best man was a goat. That was a wedding. Right, Lena? You were there for that one. And that was at, in, behind a haunted house. So every once in a while, during the ceremony, you'd hear people scream in the haunted house. Because uh, that was my three-wedding Saturday, which never, ever do that. I did three weddings in a row, like one in Flint, one in Clarkston, then one in Burton. It was wild. And the one at night was the one where people were like, ah! it, was, it was awesome. You remember, sometimes you remember the, because it's like, remember the goat? Oh, I remember the goat, you know what I'm saying? Well, Belshazzar wants his party to be remembered forever. So what's he going to do? He's like, I'm going I'm to set this party off the chain. He tells his servants, I want you to go to the treasury. I want you to find all the vessels of the temple of Yahweh and bring them here to be our dinner plates and, and cups. You understand, years before when his father Nebuchadnezzar marched his army in Jerusalem and burned the walls of Jerusalem down and tore that temple of God to the ground, the armies of Babylon marched into the temple and took all the valuables out and brought them to Babylon as trophies. Trophies to remember, we smoked you fools. And those trophies are still in the treasury to this day. The, the, so there's one of the one of the things that was of the that was in the temple in the, was a, a big basin, this big metal basin. It would be filled with water, and the priests would wash their hands before they sacrificed animals to Yahweh. These were holy relics used to worship a holy God. Belshazzar says, forget that. That's my new punch bowl, baby. Get the basin, fill with wine, and let's slurp it out of there. They're going to go nuts. They, they, they are going to mock the God of heaven. They're going to mock the things of God. They're going to take the things of God that were meant for sacred use and profane them. To mock, to define, the definition of mock, to mock is to treat with contempt or derision. To degrade. 
They're going to take, the, the, take the things of God and degrade them. They're going to treat God's stuff as party favors. And for Belshazzar, he does this for a few reasons. He's going to mock God. Why? First, he's showing off for the boys. Bring it for everyone. Because there's also the priest had like goblets made of gold. He's like, I want the high priest goblet. You guys got all priestly drinks. And we're going to drink out of the priest stuff. He's showing off to his buds. Not only that, verse 4, they drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. They're also doing this to make themselves feel superior to God. The God of Israel, the God of Jacob and Abraham and Isaac, that God's a chump and our God's a stud. They're going to lower their God and make themselves feel greater. When you mock something, you are intent, you are taking that thing and you're mocking, you are taking that thing and lowering it and raising yourself. When you scoff, when you scorn, when you mock, you lower the thing and put yourself above it. So he's mocking, he's going to mock God for the laughs for his boys, but also to lower God for himself. Now here's the thing, Belshazzar is going to mock God. He's showing the world, I drink God's holy vessels. That's my sneaking go to my, my go to my go to bed milk cup. You know, that's nothing to me. He's gonna mock God. Here's the reality of things. This is a bad thing to do. I hope you see this. As you read this, you're like, you're a crazy person, Belshazzar. You're a crazy person. Here's the craziest, beyond, beyond his craziness, many of us mock God in our own lives. Now, we don't have access to the temple. We can mock God with our jokes, how we talk about God. We can mock God's commands. We can mock God's requirements of us. If God says in his word to live a certain way, and I don't want to live that way, it's easy to mock it and make it lower than myself. I will take God's standard, I'll make it a joke, will laugh at it and feel above it and superior to it. And mocking of God, it happens, you know, people like comedians mock God all the time. That's fine. Let the world mock God. But what about when people in God's house mock him? When we talk trash on his ways and on what he's required of us, that is not a good way for us to live, to mock God. And listen, a lot of us mock God in one of, the, one of the truest ways we mock God as believers in Christ. We know there are things in his life that he's constantly just, he's almost nagging us about it. Like, Nesto, I've been telling this for years. This is going to kill you. And I'm like, it's okay. You ain't going to really kill me, Lord. You love me so much. And we kind of mock his justice. We mock his greatness. We mock his patience, his mercy. Last night um, in our home, Saturdays are becoming family game nights. We watch too much TV. I'm trying to do other things with the family besides watch TV, you know what I'm saying? So last night we played an awesome game called Abduction, where aliens kidnap ducks, and that's the game. It's a great game. It's a great game. Sadly... Both the kids beat me in abduction last night, dude. Stinking. I don't know how that happened. But they won the game. 
And then after abduction, we had a family meeting about a summer road trip. We're planning this year as a family to drive to Yellowstone. I've always wanted to go out west. Now, I've been reading stories because I'm getting ready for it, prepping myself for it. And every season this happens. There are signs all over Yellowstone saying, do not go near the bison. They're gigantic animals. An American bison. You're not winning that fight. You're not. It's not a cow. That's not a cow. Cows are like, no weapons. Just, oh, please eat me. Like that, That's all a cow is. A bison is not a cow. A bison has power. Power. People get out of their cars. They go up over there with their cell phones. They get that Instagram, you know. And people, the, the warning is everywhere. Stay away. Stay in your car. Do not go near the herds. And people don't heed the warning. They mock the signs. Oh, seeking bites are going to hurt nobody. And every year what happens? Someone gets mauled and killed every single year. Many of us live our lives. God warns us and we mock his warnings. We don't give a rip about what he says. We think to ourselves, God's going to give me the pass. I can do what I want. And he's so nice, he's never going to notice me taking a selfie with him. Like, hey! When that vice looks over. So they're stinking, drinking out of the vessels of the temple. And what happens? Verse 5. Suddenly, the fingers of a man's hand came out and began writing opposite the lampstand and the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. So what happens? It's not a human. It's not an arm. It's a hand appears and begins writing in the plaster of the wall, just floating in the air. And uh, if you live in Flint, we have old houses. Plaster is like, it's not drywall, it's different. It's, hard, it's like concrete, yo. But it's just like drawing in the stinking wall. And listen, that party ends real fast. Uh, listen, this is not a normal occurrence. Um, disembodied hands don't appear in normal places and start, and not just like doing sign language, it is literally physically affecting the environment around you. It is carving a message into the wall, slow style. Just like, it's an A, it's an Alanese, oh, what's, what's going on? Like, something's happening, because here's the reality. They're all partying, drinking, thinking the party's never going to end. But here's the reality. God will not be mocked. God will not be mocked. Listen. Is the God of heaven patient? Yes, he is. Is the God of heaven good? Yes, he is. But the Bible says, those God loves, he disciplines. I love my kids. My kids are becoming teenagers now. 
And it's new, learning how to, it's new, it's hard, it's, I'm not good at it yet, I'm trying. Sometimes they push, and when they push, I lose my mind in a second. You're going to push against, dude, I, there's this movie called Inside Out that came out, and the movie Inside Out, the dad puts the foot down, that's my only move, that's all I got, like, I'll put my foot down, and Angie's like, there's other moves, I'm like, no, there's not. (laughs) Gotta put the foot down. (laughs) But there are other moves. With, with teenagers, you have to, because they, they're learning to be their own people. They're going to be adults, right? You've got to give them a little bit of freedom, but still, there is still rules. I don't fight every battle with the kids. If they, there is grace, there is forgiveness. But listen, I just watched, I was at the uh, urgent care on Wednesday, and it was there for like two hours, whatever it was, and full houses on TV. Remember Full House, the little Tanner kids. What Michelle? What was Michelle's go-to line? What was her? You got it, dude. You got it, dude. Um, so watch the Full House, and in the episode, Stephanie Tanner, the middle daughter, drove her uncle Joey's new car into the kitchen. It's a, it's a classic episode. Classic episode, and she runs away. Now I'm watching it, and it's, it's played for the last. I'm watching. I'm like, I remember, I remember this episode. I remember her driving the car. I remember her running away. At the end of the episode, the end of the TV show, she doesn't get punished at all. She drove the car into the kitchen, and there's no. I mean, I'm like, listen, listen. I'm gonna tell my. I love you, baby. You're more important than the car. We love you. And now you're getting in trouble because you drove a car into the kitchen of her house. Listen, God will not be mocked. Galatians 6, 7, I believe, tells us. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. If you, what do they say? If you play with the boy, get the horns, man. We're on a mission trip once, and Jared Harmon's pops was there as a leader. Jared Harmon is one of our kids, deacons. And uh, his dad was one of the leaders on this trip. Jared was a junior higher at the time. And I am doing something else. We're in Mexico, okay? I'm doing something else. And Mr. H jumps a fence to go play with a bull in a field. I'm not, I'm not even there. He goes out. The kids are watching. Like, go get him, Dad. He goes out in the field to play with this bull. At first, the bull's just eating, chilling. And the bull notices a man in the field. And the bull comes to Mr. H, and they have a dance right there for everybody. Now, thankfully, Mr. Joe was a very thin, strong man. And when it charges him, Mr. H fit between its horns. He literally was sitting on its, its, its nose, holding its horns, and it's pushing him across the field. Like, ah! And dude, I, I come out like, okay, he's going to die. I, got, I never go back home to church. I got to move and... I, I'm Mexican forever now. I ain't going home, baby. <laughs> like, some kid's dad's dead because of a bull. And I'm like, you kids go home. Tickets. You never saw me. <laughs> like, um, but listen, we act this way. We think I'm going to mess with God and never get the horns. Listen, if you disobey God's laws, disobey God's commands, if you do not heed the wisdom he gives to you, it's going to burn you down. That's not God being mean. That's just the way, listen, 
There are laws and consequences to actions. God's commands are meant to make our life better, easier, good, blessed. And a lot of times we like ignore his commands. I want what I want the way I want it, even though there's so much danger on that path. And we hurt ourselves so many times. So much of the pain we go through, God wanted desperately to save us from. But we beat our, against our, we beat our head against that wall so many times. Unwilling to listen. And sometimes it costs us more than we ever knew it could cost. These guys, Belshazzar is drinking his drinks, having his party, and all of a sudden there's a ghost hand in the middle of the room writing. And so that's what it says about him. It says this, verse 6, Then the splendor of the king's face changed. Heck yeah, it did. It ain't Miller time no more. His thoughts alarmed him. His hip joints went slack. His knees rocking against one another. He is scared. You ever like have something like ghostly or ghastly happen and you feel the weird fear? Maybe you're downstairs and you hear like a little voice. You're like, what? like, it's just like, is that real? Am I, uh? I was uh, in my, this week, this week I was fevered up and I was hallucinating on Monday night. And um, yeah, it's not fun. Um, and so I'm hallucinating on Monday and I'm hearing something. And I'm listening real hard, like, what is it? What's going on? Then, oh, I'm just crazy. Okay, it's all good. Like, but when you hear something like that, let's say you're home alone, and you, all of a sudden you hear someone down the hall, and you're like, there's no one here, there's no one here. There's, it's scary. Like your knees, you're like, flashlight. Ooh. He is, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar is tripping. He is freaking out because there's a ghostly, ghastly hand writing on the wall. This is what he does next. And I want to say this before I move on. Thank the Lord that he warns us before he smokes us. The Lord sends messengers. The Lord sends signs. The Lord sends sermons. The Lord sends songs. The Lord sends all kinds of things to say. Don't go play with the bull. <sighs> Listen. I'll tell you a real one. This week I was driving... And we live in Flint, Michigan, and Flint's a weird town because it's a city built for 300,000 people. Only 90,000 people live here. So there's a lot of times where there's no one on the road with you. You know what I'm saying? There's times where there's no one at the inner, like there's no one at the lights. There's no one at the train stops. Sometimes it's weird out here. Well, I'm such a goofball, and where's Mr. Rick? Where's Mr. Rick at? I just saw him. Okay. Not you, Ricky. Mr. Redmond. Oh, Mr. Mr. Redmond knows. I run reds, don't I, dude? <laughs> Listen, we were delivering potatoes, and he's like, Pastor, that, that was not, that's, 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 that's red. You can't run that. And we're laughing, I just run reds all the time. And he said, first he's like, oh, that was almost, yeah, well, you, you close. After a while, he's like, you weren't even close anymore. Like, uh, well, the other day I was driving, and I'm, I'm, I got a good half mile, and the train lights go on. And I'm like, I ain't waiting for no train. And so I, I'm on the phone with Angie. She's, she, she can hear the engine go, she's like, what's going on? I'm like, nothing, baby, nothing. And I'm driving, and I'm going, and I'm like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to make it. 
But I'm like, you know what? If I, there's no one on the road. It's a big five laner. There's no one there. And I'm like, if I get to the middle of the street, I'll beat it in the middle. I can't beat it on my side. I can beat it in the middle. So I like run. I'm like, oh, I'm really, my wife kids are going, oh, and I'm yelling on the car. And she's like, what's going on? And I, I make it under the two arms, go over there, like, go, 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 go. I make it over the tracks. And I'm like, whoa. I'm just like, yeah. And uh, she goes, did you run a train? And I was like, <laughs> I go, I go, yeah. She goes, that's not smart, Nesto. And I'm like, babe, I, I beat him so bad, it was no problem. So I go to church. Listen to this. Listen, I go to church. The staff, the staff is here, and I'm telling the story like, oh, look what I'm so stupid. Da, da, da. And listen, everyone tells me don't do this. My wife tells me, my kids who love me tell me this. My mama who loves me tells me to do this. I tell the story, and Miss Angela Begar is not laughing, one of our people here at church. She's a deacon here. I'm like, why aren't you laughing? She goes, my dad's a train conductor. And every single year, some stupid person runs a track and gets hit by a train and killed. And the conductor carries that crap on his, in his conscience. It's not his fault. She said that when they hit the, the, tr- the brake, a mile to stop that thing. A mile for that train to stop its forward motion. She goes, you make my dad's life a living nightmare. And I'm like, oh, shoot. And in that moment, that's God telling me, Ernesto, stop mocking those train lights. Stop mocking like like traffic signals. One day it's going to bite you and it can end you. God will not be mocked. And you know what? I think I'm done. <laughs> listen, listen. <laughs> listen. Imagine a year from now, I die, a train hits me. Every one of you guys will go, man, God warned him and warned him, and he told us. He shared that God warned him, and he still didn't listen. And you'd say, what an idiot. Listen, we live this way. Many of us, God warns us so many times, and we don't heed the call. We keep dating the same kind of people. We keep doing the same exact habits in our lives. We wonder why nothing changes. I'm living the same year over and over again. Of course, nothing's going to change. So, the king calls out loudly to bring in conjurers, the Chaldeans, the diviners. The king answers and tests to the wise men of Babylon. He goes, any man who can tell me what this reading means, what this writing means, shall be clothed with purple and have a necklace of gold around his neck and rule with power as the third ruler of the kingdom. Whoever can tell me what that hand is writing on the wall, I will make you rich beyond your wildest dreams. Verse 8, then all the wise men, listen, all the king's wise men came in. But they could not read the writing or make known interpretation to the king. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and the splendor of his face changed further, and his nobles were perplexed. 
No one can figure out. No one knows. What are they writing? We don't even know what language they're writing in. This hand's writing in a foreign tongue. We don't know what it means. Imagine when the warning comes. You don't know what the warning means. You have no discernment. Where do you look? Verse 10. The queen entered the banquet hall because of the words of the king and his nobles. And the queen mother answered and said, O king, live forever. Do not your thoughts alarm you or the splendor of your face be changed? There's a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days, in the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, set this man as the chief of the magicians, the conjurers, the Chaldeans, the diviners. This was because an extraordinary spirit, knowledge, and insight Interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas, and solvable problems were found in this Daniel, who the king named Belteshazzar. Let Daniel now be summoned, and he will declare the interpretation. Listen. The queen mother says, son, there's someone here who knows what to do. Go get Daniel. Daniel knows. Let me end by saying this to us. One of the purposes of our church is to speak Jesus to people. Speaking Christ is a twofold ministry. On one hand, we speak the love of Christ to people. Jesus loves you. And that's true. Jesus loves people. Everyone we meet in this city, Christ loves them. Brother Dave, um, where's Brother Dave? Dave? Brother Dave, van driving Dave. He drives our van, and sometimes people in our van stop coming because they fall back to their old ways. And Dave will go visit some of our old friends living on the streets, and he'll bring them food or blankets. And we have a, we have a phrase we say, me and Dave. We don't give up on people. And we don't. They, they, they may give up on themselves, but the Lord has not given up on them. So we don't either. We speak the love of Christ to people every day. But we also are called to warn people. There's a way that seems right to a man. We think in our world being a friend means telling every, being a friend is affirming every friend's decision. That's not what a true friend does. If someone you love is going to violate God's wisdom and blow their life up and act as a tell them, listen, I love you, but if you do this thing, God says it's going to go bad for you. I'm, I'm not mad at you. I'm not angry with you. I'm just telling you. I'm telling you as a friend, this thing you're going to do it could burn you down. That is an act of love, and we're warning people, listen, we're saying, listen, we're basically telling people, don't mock God, because God will not be mocked. So as we bring this time to an end, all I want to say to us is very simple. 2024 is beginning. If there are things in your life that you know God's been trying to get your attention on for years, for months, for weeks, heed his voice. If God's trying to shake you awake, wake up. God will not be mocked. Eventually, 
the way we're living is going to catch up with us and it's going to burn us down. Hear God's warning. Heed it. If there's things in your life that you know God doesn't want for you, put them down. And I know it's hard. I remember watching that show Hoarders. Remember Hoarders? <laughs> Listen, there's a reason I watched it. It's because of that. I'm like, oh, shoot. <laughs> but um, I watched Hoarders once, and there was a, a mom, and they, the, the, the courts came took her kids away. And they said, you, in order to get your kids, you've got to clean this house up. And I remember the episode. She, just, she sat there in the mess, and she's like, I can't do it. I mean, I, I was amazed. I'm like, it's your kids. Like, you've been put to the ultimate test. It's either lay down this thing that's been hurting you for years or find a way past to save your family. And even at moments, some people can't put the thing down. Listen, talk to someone, get some help. Because our church, we work with people in addiction, trafficking. We work with people in all kinds of real hard moments of life because we know life can trap you. And there's some things we face we can't get out of alone. We need each other. You don't have to do this alone. Talk to a pastor. We're here to talk, to listen, to pray with you, to fight alongside you, to cheer you on. If there's something in your life that God doesn't want you to have anymore, put it down. You don't want to be Belshazzar, living the high life, drinking your drink, and always look over, and there's a hand writing your warning and your doom on a wall. You don't want that to be your story. Heed him now before that day is too late. With that said, let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and your patience. You are so merciful and so patient. For many of us, we... We don't listen for so long. And you're so patient. You're, you give us so much time and so much rope. And thank you for your patience. Thank you for your grace. But you, have, you offer a better way for us. A better life. Let us come in out of the cold and draw near to the warmth of your love. Let us not mock you. Let us instead, let us praise you and let us sit near you and know your goodness. In Christ's name, we ask all these things. Amen. God bless you, church.